0: Welcome to Fireside Nets with Spen and Nick brought to you by Empire Sports Media. Before I introduce you guys to our guest, I wanted to brief everybody quickly on what's been happening. We took a week hiatus from Fireside last week. We did not record an episode, Memorial Day weekend. Obviously, we didn't record last night, when we usually do. Uh, Nick, my brother, who's the co-host, he's been very busy with his comedy sketch show. I mostly blame myself. They're in Manhattan. (laughs) If you're interested in, uh, in checking out that show, let me know. Uh, Shoot me a DM. So, Nick isn't here tonight, but I know with the finals happening and the chatter around the Nets starting to get loud again for next season, and it being the 20 year anniversary of the New Jersey Nets making the finals in the 2001 2002 season, I had to come with some fire this week. And even if it's a day late, I'm okay with that. So, without further ado, our first recurring former player guest ever, Aaron the A Train Williams today joins me on the podcast. What's going on, Aaron? How are you?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Did you know that you are the first player recurring guest on Fireside Nets?
1: I did not know that. I'm honored.
0: Thank you. We've we've had Kenny Anderson, we've had Boston Knockbar and CJ Watson and Aaron Williams, and now we've had you twice. So very happy to have you on. Uh, In my opinion, you played on the Nets teams when they were most exciting in the best era to be a Nets fan. So for me, that means the world. Um, as I mentioned, you know, you played in the NBA, you're, 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 a, you're in the league for 15 years, I think 93 to 08. Is, is that about right?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I think it's officially 13 or 14. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Right. right. Cause I went overseas for like a year or two. So,
0: okay. But most importantly, you played four and a half seasons with the Nets from 2000 to 2005. Um, yeah. You were the first first big man off the bench, and and in your best season with the Nets, you put up 10.2 points per game and 7.2 rebounds per game in 2000. So, my first question is: When you hear, you know, the 20 year anniversary of that <coughs> 01 02 team, I mean, what goes through your mind?
1: I'm getting old. <laughs> Because until you said that, I had no idea that it was really the 20-year anniversary of it. Um, yeah, I mean, time flies. Um, a lot of things have changed since then. You know, the game has changed. And, uh, you know, yeah, 20 years. Wow. I, I didn't even think about it until you said that.
0: That's crazy, right? Yeah. it's uh, It's been that type of week with, with, with kind of these things just popping up. Um, I know the first time we had Jan, we talked a lot about those those early 2000 Nets teams we're not going to talk about him as much on this episode but for for our younger audience out there just tell them what you remember most about playing with Jason Kidd, Richard Jefferson, Kenyon Martin, what it was like to play with those guys and go to the finals in back-to-back seasons.
1: Um it was pretty wild, you know, uh I don't I think we'd be lying if we told you we expected that to happen. Um <laughs> When we first uh traded for uh for J Kidd, uh we knew we were gonna be good. We knew we had a lot of athletes and uh we had a lot of guys who had the right attitudes and, and high IQ players and players who played the right way. And um, you know, throughout training camp we realized that we, you know, we might have something here. Um I think it was a it was a real balanced team and um, you know, we as the season went on, we just you know, we started beating a lot of teams, and we have seeing that we can play at a high level. And uh, when you have a guy like Jay Kidd leading the way, you know, any given night you you you're going to win some games, no matter if you're going in the, into the fourth quarter down ten or up ten. You know, you, it didn't really matter. You you always knew you had a chance to win with when you're playing with greatness.
0: Were you surprised to see how successful he was this year uh, as the Mavericks coach, or, or that doesn't surprise you because you played with him?
1: Uh. I think every I think they kind of took the lead by surprise towards the end of the year. Um, I, nobody thought they were going to be that, play that well, especially into the playoffs. Um, I think once the playoffs started, they kind of found their niche and found their groove, and um, they they started clicking on all cylinders. And they were, you know, they were a tough out. Um, you know, Lucas, no joke. You know, he's he's a similar type of type of player to J. Kidd. You know, he he doesn't do it on the defensive end like J. Kidd does, but um, he's He's a hell of a player. He's hard to stop. He gets his teammates involved. Uh, he gets them open shots. And um, if they they're on maybe you know one or two pieces away themselves, they're they're, they're right there.
0: Yeah, I, I give Jake Kidd a lot of credit. I thought he did a great job with that team uh, because I, I think the second best player after Luca was Spencer Dinwiddie or Jalen Brunson. I mean, I mean, take your pick. But as a second option for if you're trying to be a championship contender, those guys are good. I don't know if they're second option good um i know the last time we had Jan, we talked about you know that that oh one oh two series against the lakers and basically what what you said to me was there was no way we were beating kobe bryant so i, I mean you go into a series like that knowing the greatness of kobe and, and, and shaq like how, how were you able to Compete and and I know that first game you gave them a run for their money, and after that the series kind of got away from you. But what's your mindset going into going into a series against the likes of Kobe Bryant?
1: Um, we had another guy there who's pretty good named Shaq.
0: Yeah, uh, I know you, you punched him. <laughs> you punched him in the gut, and you got his respect. I remember that story. Yeah. That's one of my favorite stories. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know when the when the series started, we didn't think we didn't have a chance. We thought we had a chance, but. As it went on, um, we realized that, you know, we, these guys are on a mission, you know, this is one of the, one of the all time great teams, you know what I mean? And to be led by two arguably top 10 players of all time. And they had probably, you know, if, if you want to rate role players as top 10, they had a couple of those guys in there too, you know? So they, they were a, a well-oiled machine and they had, um, I mean, Phil Jackson's coaching them, um. They they were just on a mission, man. It's you know, when it started we, we thought we had a chance and they just took it to us and we didn't they punched us in the mouth, we didn't know what hit us and it was just we we're just going along for the ride at that point.
0: <laughs> I mean, you, you guys are also sandwiched between like you were in the you were in the middle of their three-peat, right? Because they had beat the Pacers. Oh no, you weren't. You were the last team they beat, and then the next year it was the Spurs because you guys got back to the championship. I'm sorry, that's what I'm right. that's what I'm misremembering. So we, the last time we talked, you said when you went into that Spurs series, and, and even after the first few games, you thought you guys really had a shot and you took them six games. I mean, it was a very competitive series. If you could go back 19 years and 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 get Byron Scott's <laughs> ear, is there anything you would change about that Nets-Spurs series?
1: Oh man, um, you know I, I don't know if there's things I would change. I think maybe our, our strategy. Maybe you can change your strategy a little bit. But um, I mean, again, they you know they had some great players. Um, do I think we should have won that series? Yes, but to lose to. Mano Ginobili, Tony Parker, and Tim Duncan, with Greg Popovich as their coach. You know what I mean? We, it's no, no one's gonna go down in history saying that that you know that Nets team choked or anything like that. You know we, right, right. we gave it what we had. Um, you know a few tweaks here and there. You know who knows what happens. Um, I definitely think we had the personnel to win it um, and experience from being there the the, the year before, but um, it just wasn't to be.
0: You hear a lot of guys these days, you know, Charles Barkley, Gary Payton, Shaq. They talk about how much more the NBA was even just 20 years ago. So in your opinion, what is the main difference between the NBA when you played versus the NBA today?
1: Oh, man. Well, I mean, the obvious is, you know, all the three-point shots that are taken in a game. I think the pace is a little faster. The game has gotten softer. I don't think necessarily the players have gotten softer. I think by default, they've gotten softer because the game is called different. So you have to play different, but at the same time, the the level of flopping is outrageous. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, the main thing is just the three pointers and it just seems like players back in the day, you know, there was more post play. You had, Hall of Fame centers on a, a whole bunch of teams, you know, Patrick Ewing's and, you know, Akeem Olajuwon's, you know, Alonzo Mourning's on, you know, there's a whole lot of, uh, the game was just different. There wasn't, so that path to the basket wasn't necessarily necessarily there like it is now. Right. Uh, nowadays, the, the five man's out shooting threes and he's forced to guard guys who are shooting threes. So it, it kind of opens the middle up for a lot of guys. And um, the pace is different. You know, I think they they run a lot more and uh, just because there's no down low presence you know back in the day you would come down pound the ball you know pass it to the wing and look inside they don't do it anymore now it's just pass cut who's open for the first three they're shooting it you know um so it's it's a three-point shooting league they've gotten to the point now where almost every position has to be able to shoot threes or you can't play
0: yeah i mean you think of the the classic old school centers that are left it's a very short list. I look at Steven yes. Adams um, on the Grizzlies. I look at uh, Nurkic on the, the Blazers. He's he's more or less an old school center. Um, outside of those two guys, I have to really think about it. I mean, the Nets... The Nets have a few of those guys. You know, Drummond is, is, is more old, school, but he's, he's not really a post-up player, Drummond. He's, he's more, he gets a lot right. of his points, uh, you know, off the ball, and, and same with Nick Claxton. So, yeah, it's it's hard to really <laughs> think. Like, I, I guess the best post-up player right now, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, would be Joel Embiid, but he also is able to stretch the floor whenever he wants to. He's not like a true yeah. post-up yeah. center, right?
1: Yeah, and him him and the Joker, you know, those guys will post up, but they're, they're also shooting threes, so – um, it's, you know, pick your poison, but those guys, um, and they're two of the most highly skilled players in the NBA. But, you know, other than that, you know, you Rudy Gobert, he's, he's down low and he's not even, you can't even come down and look to him every time down to scoring a post. Cause that's not really what he does.
0: Right. You know, those no, guys like that yeah. are,
1: are dinosaurs now.
0: <laughs> you're absolutely right. I still think you could, you could play in this era though. I still think you'd find your niche.
1: I, I think I could. Um, I was a, I was a good shooter. I didn't shoot threes because it just wasn't called for at the time. Um, but if, if I played now, I would definitely shoot threes. Yeah, it would. Yeah, this. I mean, and you see it, it. It evolves with a lot of guys. Robin Lopez wasn't a three point shooter. Now he shoots a lot of threes. It's it's the evolution of the game. Um, I think I bowed out right before it started getting to that. Really, you know, three point shooting really took over.
0: Yeah, nah, a few more years in the league, you would have been, uh, you would have been <laughs> chucking threes. I love it. Um, all right, let's get to this current Nets team. So we are three years into the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irvin era. We have seen two first round sweeps and a second round seven game exit. We had the James Harden experience that came and went. The Nets sort of have a new identity now with the addition of Ben Simmons. Uh, I guess my first question about this current Nets team: Why haven't they had the success? That so many people thought they would when they constructed this team to you know three years ago, starting with the big two, and then and then when they eventually got hardened.
1: Why haven't they had success? Uh, I don't think they've really had time to. Well, they had time, but they haven't had the players available. Put it that way, to really build your chemistry um, from from one to fifteen. You know, you had players. You, they got swept in the playoffs, but in the playoffs. You had guys like Blake Griffin came in once. They were like, oh, oh, shit, we, what are we going to do? We might as well. Let's try it. You know, he just pulled that out of his ass. Um, and Blake played good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, you got LaMarcus Aldridge over there. No, he can give you something. I mean, what you were doing wasn't working, so let's you know try something. He, I don't think he played a minute in the whole series. Um, And I, I think they were forced to. I mean, uh, Joe getting hurt really hurt them, I think. He's a guy who spaced the floor and um, and Kyrie, you know, the whole COVID thing kind of just forced them to not be able to really gel together as a unit and go through, you know, ways to come back, you know, against teams when you're down 20 throughout, you know, throughout an 82 game season. There's every game is unique and there's different uh, has its own personalities and. You find a way to win this way one game, and this way the next game, and through an eighty-two game season, you you build that trust and continuity in your whole team. And I don't think they were able to do that. I mean, at the end of the season, it was just okay. Kyrie, we need you to score forty. Durant, we need you to score forty. And if you don't, well, you know, you have no chance. And do I think. you remember?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Go on.
1: Oh no, I was just gonna say. And then uh, the Celtics took took both of those guys away. I, I mean, that's a whole nother story. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but I don't know what the hell happened to those guys man. They yeah. were They were just no-shows. And, yeah. but, no, well, we, we can get into that.
0: No, we, we can absolutely get into that. My, my follow-up question was just going to be, you know, you played a long time in the NBA. Do you ever remember a, a season where you think that your team had the talent, but – some guys might have been hurt, some guys might have been unavailable, and it just it didn't happen because – like something similar to the Nets, did that ever happen during the course of your career?
1: Uh, no, I don't think I've ever been in, in a that spot where someone got hurt and we were forced to play without one of our best players at important times of the, of the year or um, like coming down the stretch in the playoffs. I, I don't think we, I've ever been in that position where we were forced to play without one of our best players.
0: Yeah, it's extremely unique if you think about it, because you go into this, this last season with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irvin, and James Harden, arguably three of the top ten players in the league. Kyrie can't play because the vaccine mandate. KD goes <laughs> down. Harden's got to play by himself. He gets mad. He asks for a trade. He's out of there. Kyrie eventually comes back, and, and him and KD were just never really able to gel with the rest of the team, I think, and, and, and you alluded to that in the Celtics series. Uh, once once Boston was able to shut those guys down for the majority of that series, just nobody else was able to step up. I mean, I think your third best scorer in that series was like a tie between Seth Curry and Goran Drogic. Um, yeah. <clears throat> we, we don't we don't have to get too much into that series because we are going to talk about the Celtics Warriors and 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 just the job that Ime Adok has done with them. Uh, you brought up Kyrie Irving. We talked a little bit about his availability, unavailability. The Nets are faced with a decision this offseason. they got to decide if, if they want to pay him. They want to give him that extension. So if you are Sean Marks, what what are you doing at this point with, with Kyrie Irving? Uh,
1: I, I think you kind of have to pay him. Um, but you have to sit down and have a talk with him and kind of lay down the law. You know, we're paying you to play. We need you to play. You know, we support you, whatever you're doing off the court, but – We need you first and foremost to be on the court for us. And then we'll take it from there. Um, If I'm the Nets, I I think you have to sign him. He's just for his talent. And I think you, you want to give it a shot with him, Durant and Simmons. Let's, let's see, at least see how it looks on the court. Let's see how it works. And if it doesn't, it's not working, you know, next year, then maybe you can trade him or then you make some moves. But I would at least after all you went through with Harden and, and, Honestly, I think you you at least want to give it a shot to see what it looks like to see yeah. what their product looks like.
0: Yeah, and you have no backup plan. Like, like there's no one on the free agent market, nobody who who's going to be traded that will come close to the value that Kyrie Irvin brings to your basketball team. So, absolutely. I, I 100% agree. I think most of Nets most of the Nets yeah. fan base agrees with agrees with you. I think there are some people who are who are a little bit done with with Kyrie and Kyrie Irving's whole shtick uh but I'm not one of them he, he's too talented I don't really blame this last season on him it, it was his decision it is what it is um but you know you've been waiting three years to get him and Kevin Durant on the court with a team that can win a championship and you brought up Ben Simmons I, I mean when that guy's healthy and if he's going to be your third option forget about it Aaron this team can can really make a run um
1: absolutely one thing I will say um I think another one of the problems that they ran into this year is who is the leader on the team? You know what I mean? And that that's not just from the playoffs. I think that goes throughout the whole year. Right. For for Kyrie to be, I mean, obviously he had he couldn't play because of COVID, but then you had Harden, and Harden kind of comes back, you know, or he the hamstring. I don't know if that was really a hamstring (laughs) issue. It's just you know the guys, just their attitudes is. It, it, you just don't feel like they were all on the same page trying to win and trying to do whatever it took for the team to win yeah like there's something something's wrong there i don't know if it starts with steve nash or or sean marks i don't know but something isn't quite right there and it, it maybe it goes back to when Kyrie and durant first came there and they said we don't need a coach you know we're, we're good yeah. uh, i mean that's i mean you see how ridiculous that was after this year um but yeah it, Something has to be done with the leadership on the team, whether Durant, you know, takes the lead. He should be the leader, you would think. And, um, you know, you got to lay down the law. You've know? you got to get all those guys on the, on the same page because if they're on the same page, they're going to be really dangerous.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, that, that quote really came back to bite him in the ass. You look at what the Bucs did last year with Budenholzer. He was excellent. This year, the Celtics, Ime Doka, who was on the Nets bench last year. He was an assistant coach. We let him get away. He's been phenomenal in Boston. Uh, You brought up Steve Nash. Do you think he's the right guy for the job, or or would you like to see the Nets go in a different direction?
1: Uh, It's hard to say. You know, I I never want to say anybody should be replaced, but uh, his strategy against the Celtics, I I was kind of – just had me – it was kind of mind-boggling to me the way – the way the Celtics are playing and and crowding Durant every time he could catch the ball. I mean, Durant will have a guy who's 6'5", guarding him, and he'll still be trying to catch the ball at the three-point line. Why don't you put him in the post? Put him closer to the basket so he can just catch the ball, turn around, and shoot. You don't have to worry about it. You know what I mean? But, like, the whole time, they just kept putting him on the three-point line. And as soon as he takes one dribble, there's two people on him. You know, what's he supposed to do? Um, So... And it's not just him, you know, I guess it goes to the assistant coaches, too. But somebody has to suggest something different. I mean, you see it's not working in game one. It's almost like the adjustments weren't made throughout the whole series. And it's it's just mind-boggling.
0: Yeah, I I would tend to agree with you. You're you're right. I would never – I don't like calling for people's jobs. I agree with you on that. I don't think Nash is a bad coach. I just – I don't know – I'm not sure after three seasons if you want to just keep putting the same group out there. Like, you look at what the Celtics did. We're going to talk about them in a second. They didn't change that much up. I mean, they moved Brad Stevens to the front office. You hire Ima Adoka. The roster is relatively the same. It's the same guys, yeah. right? Horford was there in the beginning. He left. He's back. You make the trade for Derek White, but you still have a core of Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. You still have guys like Robert Williams on this team. Um and uh, Grant Williams, who's been there for a minute. And it's not like they had to change up everything. They just changed up their coach, and all of a sudden they were able to sort of break through and win the East. So I I, I don't not like Nash, but you, you've seen the result the past three seasons, and, you know, you have the same core. I, I don't know. I think it's time to switch up the coaching, but I, we, we both know how close Nash and Marks are, and I don't think that Marks is is going to make that move. I think they're going to run it back with, with, with Steve Nash.
1: Yeah, it looks like it. I mean, I think if they were going to make a change, they would have made it already, um, or maybe not. We'll see. I mean, there's still a lot of summer. There's still a lot of summer left, but yeah. Um, but the same thing with, with email Doka. The Celtics didn't start off great, you know. Right. They were really strong in the beginning of the season, but their core players stuck together and they found out ways to win throughout the season. You know, and when you have players there who are available. Every night, you can kind of fine tune things and, and tweak things to see what works in different situations. And I, I think now, no matter what teams throw at Boston, they they have a way to counter it. They know, you know, different players off the bench who are, who who play good against, you know, the way this team is playing defense against us, or you know, it just it just it's all the little tiny things that make a big difference. I don't think the Nets really had a chance to to work those kinks out throughout the season.
0: Yeah. I, I agree with you. This is a great transition. Uh we're we're watching the finals right now. Right now. Not currently right now, but the series is tied one-one. The next game is uh Wednesday night. So if you're listening to the pod, it's it's tonight. If you're watching, it's tomorrow night. Um what are your thoughts on this series so far? Tied one game apiece. Who has the advantage going to Boston for game three?
1: Uh I think the easy answer is just to say the Warriors, because they've been there. You know, they've been there, done that. They have the experience. I think they showed in Game Two that they're not, you know, they're not flustered. You know, Dream on said right after the game, "We're not worried." You know, Steph was, you know, they're not worried. And I think they were maybe a little worried <laughs> by the way they lost that fourth quarter. But um, it, I think they realized that as good as they played throughout that game. Uh, just go back, watch film on that fourth qu- fourth quarter, tweak some things. You know, don't make silly mistakes, t- silly turnovers. And uh, the game is totally different. You know, one, Boston kind of got rolling there in the fourth quarter. And a lot of guys who normally don't hit big shots and probably won't again were hitting big shots. You know, I, I was sitting watching the game like, can Derek White miss a shot? Is, this is crazy. Uh, is Horford like Dirk Nowitzki out there? Like, what is going on? You know, he, he wasn't missing. Um, and I think they all came, came back down to earth uh, in game two. So it'll be interesting to see as uh, the Warriors take their game on the road. I, I think they have a lot of veterans, and I don't think they'll really be flustered on the road. So uh, it'll be exciting to watch.
0: What is your prediction for the rest of the series?
1: Uh, I'm going to take the Warriors in seven.
0: Seven, okay. I like that. Yeah. Um, my Why do analysts always feel the need to, like – not only talk about a guy's legacy while it's happening, like with Steph Curry, but why do they feel the need to compare Steph and the greatness that he brings to the game and what he's doing out on the court, and they compare him to LeBron? Can't we just respect that both these guys are incredible? Like, like comparing them is so stupid to me.
1: Yeah, especially when their games are totally different. They don't play the same position. Um, Yeah, I, I think we tend to do that, you know, Everything always, you know, we always yeah. comparing Jordan and LeBron and who I mean it's it's very rare that we just sit back and appreciate both of them and their greatness. Just appreciate the greatness that why, why, why he's here, you know. And uh Steph is doing something that has never been seen before. and He's damn near single-handedly, you know, changed the game. <laughs> and uh it's it's just it's amazing to watch him play and uh, actually I think he's underrated because he's one of the best ball handlers I've ever seen and he's a great passer and uh he gets to the basket and he finishes at the basket as good as anybody and I think he doesn't get enough credit for that you know you see him pulling up from 30 feet and that's the wild moment but you tend to overlook all the other things he does in addition to actually being a pretty good defensive player
0: yeah, um, his his defense has improved, and, and you see it in this postseason. He's been really – I wouldn't say locking guys up, but he's been giving guys a hard time, and specifically Jason Tatum. Like, Tatum does not want to take Curry when he gets the ball. It's it's kind of embarrassing. Um, you, talked, <laughs> you talked about Curry changing the game. I want to tell you a quick story, and this is sort of a humble brag. Uh, not only has he changed the game around the NBA, he's influenced his teammates. You see the shot that Jordan Poole took in game two a step in from half court, right? He nails it. So I'm I'm at the park the other day. I'm playing this kid one-on-one and that thought goes through my head. Oh shit. That shot that he took, I'm, I'm going to try that. So I back out and I just pulled up from like 30 feet and, and drilled it. And this kid looked at me and I'm, and I'm thinking if it's not for Steph Curry and Jordan Poole, I don't take that shot. That's a bad shot, but yeah. I was feeling it that day. I had hit a few threes. I'm thinking, you know, he did that the other night. Why can't I do it? And it, it worked out. So, uh, it's interesting that you said that in regards to him changing the game because I don't take that shot if it's not for Steph Curry.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, not to sound like an old man, but back when I played or someone was shooting that, you're like, this dude needs to be drug tested. Like, what is he you doing? <laughs> you know, the coach would cuss him out and he'd be on the bench, you know, right away. But nowadays, it's, it's uh, totally different. And I know you mentioned Jordan Poole. I think that guy. He's a great young player. He's gonna be really good when he first of all when he learns to play defense. His defense is yeah. horrible, yeah. but other than that, he's he's so lucky that he ended up with the Warriors because there's not a better team for him for his style of play and a better person to learn from than Steph and Clay Thompson from how to move without the ball and because the Warriors offense is mostly finesse and that fits him so so perfect. He's he's the perfect young player for them.
0: If you were Clay Thompson's teammate right now, you know, he's been struggling. Um, do you say anything to him, or do you have a feeling you you know he's a veteran, he's a three time champion, he's gonna figure it out.
1: You know, you I've been watching him since he came back, and he takes a lot of crazy shots and he misses a lot of shots. But then every once in a while he has those games where he just he goes for 30 or 40, and, and you're like, Oh, that old Clay's back. I don't think he's necessarily back. And I was having this conversation with my son the other day. Uh, I think a lot of reasons he takes some of these shots that aren't necessarily good shots because coming back from the injuries he's come back from, he's, first of all, he's not really a hundred percent yet. You know, that's physical and mental. So he, 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 I don't think he's a hundred percent yet. He will be next year, but I don't think he's confident in his ability to create off the dribble like he was before. So if he catches the ball and coming off a screen or or wherever, if he's even a little bit open, he's going to shoot it because I don't think he's confident that once the defender, you know, is on him, he's going to be able to create something for himself. But uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely struggling. I don't think you say something to him because like I said, he's liable to go for 35, you know, tomorrow night. Um, So, you know, who knows, you know, if you haven't said nothing to him all year, because he's been, he's been playing this way all year, honestly. Right. Not like, He's been playing really, really good, and all of a sudden he's in a slump. He's been up and down all year, and I think it's just because he's not totally 100%. And now you're playing at the highest level against one of the best defensive teams in the NBA, and shots aren't coming easy. So, you know, you got you got to live with it. I mean, I think you you live with Clay shooting 19 shots. Uh, I, I, there's not many players you'd rather have shooting 19 shots than him. So, yeah, I think you got to live with it. And, and he'll hit him. He'll hit him eventually.
0: And and if you're the Warriors, I mean, Clay's had two really bad games. The first game, you really could have won. You were up most of the game, you lost. The second game, you won despite him playing bad. If he gives you a decent performance, I mean, it, it might not even be close anymore for the rest of the series. Um, on the other side of things – you know, Jalen Brown's had a really solid two games. Uh, he wasn't as good as game in game two, but in game one, he took over in that fourth quarter. Jason Tatum has sort of underwhelmed on, on both ends of the ball. I know he had a good scoring night in game two, but no assists for, for Jason Tatum. Do you, what do you think of Jason Tatum? Do you think do do we hold Tatum to an unfair standard or should he be a top five player in this league? I
1: don't know, he's definitely not top five. Um I think this is his chance to break through to be on that next tier of player. I think he's right there. He's a star, but I'm not sure he's a superstar yet. Um, he's right there. I think this this series, even if they don't win, but if he plays well and, and the games are competitive and, you know, but they still end up losing. I think he can break through to a superstar level. I personally, I just don't think he's there just yet. Um He's had moments of it throughout the playoffs. He's been playing really well, but you know the time is now. It's, it's all about winning, and uh, we'll see. I think if if he can lead his team to a championship, definitely he'll be he'll be at that next level, and I uh, I'll consider him a superstar. Um, and like I said, even if he plays really well and they don't win, I I consider him a superstar. But I don't think through the first two games of the series, I don't think I would put him on that level just yet
0: if you're the Celtics how do you handle Draymond Green and what he did in game two moving forward because he took over the game with his physicality with with his stuff between the whistle I mean if you're if you're in that Celtics locker room like what are you saying but before games three and four about Draymond Green
1: I think you hope he keeps doing it I mean um, and and by that I mean you kind of once he starts it, you kind of bait him because he he will keep going and he will get texts. You know, he came close to getting thrown out that game, you know, game two. Um, so I think the Celtics, you try to use that against them. Um, and the Celtics have some pretty tough players. They're not a soft team by any means. Um, any team that can play defense the way they play, defense is toughness, toughness and in, in will. Um, I think they have some tough guys and I just, just don't back down to them. But. Just don't cross the line. If you see he's starting to get going, just maybe nudge him a little bit and say something to him to get him really riled up. And hopefully he gets another tech and gets thrown out. You know, that's, that's what I would say to the guys. Um, other than that, it's not like he's not going to score thirty. You know, he's he's definitely the engine that makes their offense go. But you know, if you can get him out the game, that's goes a, a big way towards winning.
0: If, if I'm the Celtics, I'm going to Marcus Smart. I'm going to Grant Williams. And I'm saying, you guys see what Draymond's doing from a physical standpoint? I need that from both you guys. Smart has really not had you know his moment throughout these first two games. He played decent in game one, but I don't think in that fourth quarter he barely played um, I would like to see him raise his level of play and, and sort of meet what Draymond's doing, and then and then Grant Williams has sort of been a no show in this series so far. So from those two guys, if they can give you that physicality, I mean Marcus Smart was was the uh, the Defensive Player of the Year this year, right? Like no one's more yeah. physical and 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 smart on defense than Marcus Smart. You have Robert Williams, who's also an All NBA defensive player. Um, you should not be getting punked by Draymond Green. You have too many guys on <laughs> the Celtics who are who are physical yeah. enough to deal with that.
1: Oh, um, yeah, all right. He, yeah. Yeah, Draymond's like the one physical, the one physical guy on, on Golden State and you're letting him get That's it. Really away.
0: it. Yeah. That's really. Can not let
1: that happen. Aaron, you've been awesome. I have two
0: more quick segments before we let you go. The the first segment is what does Aaron Williams think? What do you think of the NBA contemplating on shortening an 82 game season?
1: <laughs> um <clears throat> it's it's Ludicrous to me, Um, the guys already don't play 82 games. So, you know, game. the rules have changed. The game isn't as physical as it was. A lot of guys have load management and they don't play. So I don't, you know, when guys are taking load management and not playing and people are still getting hurt, what's the point of reducing the number of games? You know. A player can get hurt if you have 13 games, and players can get hurt if it's you know, and I, it it can't be wear and tear because players don't practice like they used to. You know, practice is like a cakewalk nowadays. Even in training camps, you know, you can't do two a days anymore. You know, guys have they have chefs, they feed the guy, they have massages, they get everything you need. They're, they stay in the best hotels. You fly private jets everywhere you go. I mean. How much more do you need? I mean, is is the game really that tough for you? If it's that tough for you, then you can't play. Simple as that. That's the way I feel about it. If you can't play any two games because it's too much for you, then you weren't made to play in the NBA. Simple as that.
0: All right. And this final segment is called Story Time. Did you hear how everybody on Nets Twitter was duped? Did you hear this story?
1: No, I don't think so. This is
0: awesome. So John Rodriguez. John Rodriguez is a former professional baseball player. He played in the majors for the Cardinals and I think maybe the Yankees. There was an account on Twitter, J-Rod. They were verified. They had about 15 16,000 followers, and they were supposedly this former baseball player. They were on Spaces talking about the Nets. They were a diehard Nets fan. Turns out they were a catfish. They were impersonating the real – uh what's the guy's name? John Rodriguez, whose Twitter is extremely low key. He's not like someone in the in the, you know, public spotlight and uh this guy was called out and basically exposed and he deleted his Twitter. So the entire, you know, everyone who converses about the nets and what we call nets Twitter world, uh they got what catfished and duped by this guy. It was insane.
1: What was what what kind of stuff was he saying? He was
0: he was speaking normally about the nets. He was a diehard fan, but he was Pretending to be this baseball, this former MLB player, and everyone fell for it. So my question is, what <laughs> happens if, if somebody, you know, starts impersonating Aaron Williams and they create a whole, a whole Twitter talking about the Nets as Aaron Williams? That'd be crazy.
1: Uh yeah. I mean, uh you just yeah, well, you can you can get you got my number, you can call me and see if it's really me. So, there you go. So you'll to no, contact if it's real or not.
0: <laughs> I got you. I like that a lot. I appreciate that. Um, oh man. Okay. I, I think that does it. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. It was a blast to sort of celebrate the 20th anniversary with you. I, I know you, you were telling me earlier, you can't believe it's been 20 years, but um, you gave me so many awesome memories as a child on those Nets teams. I'm now almost 30 years old and I'm just so lucky to be lucky to be having you on this show. So thank you so much for coming on. Is there anybody that you would like to shout out before you go?
1: Um. Uh... Just my kids, man. You know, my son's working hard trying to get a D1 scholarship. Uh, my daughter's playing here at Michigan. She's, she'll be a junior. And uh, my my oldest daughter is grad school now at, at Tulane. She played volleyball. So shout out to them. Um, keep up, the hard, you know, the hard work and uh, keep grinding and it'll happen.
0: I wish them nothing but the best. Thank you so much for coming on. And everybody, thanks for listening to another episode of Fireside Nets with Spen and Nick, brought to you by Empire Sports Media. Tune in next week.